You're listening to another episode of the Just Go Bike Podcast. That's AKA Murph. And that's AP. And this is the podcast where we talk about cycling just for the fun of it. With tales from all over the nation, come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Hello, Murph. Well, hey, AP, what's going on? Well, it's a big day because we just revealed our Ragbri Li merch and dare I say, we created a geometric gem. Well, well, dare I say, I am mad for plaid. (laughs) (laughs) And it it has just a little bit of Irish flair with the colors. And Mm. you know, I love that. Yes, absolutely. Yes, we've gone plaid. I just want to give a big shout out to Corey for creating this line of merch and the logo. It's so awesome. It's Really got not only the plaid, but the feel of the hometown element of Ragbri yeah. and how how the communities are truly welcoming us to their homes along the way. I love it. I cannot wait. Like I think the hard part for me is going to be deciding which pieces I want versus need. Because <laughs> we all know, yeah. you know, maybe we don't need a new jersey, but maybe we do. I don't I, I think I think it's a capital N need for me. <laughs> yes, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to get the crew shirt, uh, maybe the tank, and for sure ju- the jersey. Yeah, the crew shirt is new this year, coming out with the regular standard cut jersey, where it's going to be um, exactly matching with your kit. And it comes out with registration and with the other merchandise on November 15th. So Love it. it's uh, kind of a neat deal. And we'll also have socks with the kit. We're also going to have a cycling cat with the kit. Uh, made by Primal Wear this time. And the other new cool thing with the merch is that the women's shorts come in a standard length and a longer length Ooh. because we've had people who have expressed that they'd like one or the other. And we said, why choose? Yeah. So we have two different op- options for women this year, which is kind of neat. I love it. Um, okay. I think, yeah. I think it's, they're turning into needs as far as yes. which items I'm going to be getting. And you're going to be able to look great from head to toe. So <laughs> awesome. More, yeah, so more on that later. But, okay, speaking of need, uh, I heard there are people out there in podcast land who really need that winter challenge to come back. Yes, and their wish is coming true. I am bringing back the winter challenge. And last Woo! year we kicked it off. We did November, December. And this year I wanted to get closer to, you know, when the route announcement will be happening and mm. just all things Ragbri. So we're going to kick it off mm. December 1st and the challenge will go through January. I'm so excited. However, I have been banking miles in November that are useless now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're good so for I'm your like, health. Come on. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, we're going to have to pay it forward because... I mean, I'm not going to count my November miles for December, but December and January are two of the hardest months, at least for me to stay motivated on the bike. So this is going to be good for me. Um, So is there going to be swag this year? Uh, Yes, I am. I really want to do the patch again, for Mm. sure. Um, This past Mm -hmm. year, we also did buffs. So um, I'm contemplating, you know, how much swag we really need. But Uh. okay, but I do have a question for you. So, okay. so last year, the challenge was to pedal 200 miles in two months. And mm. my question is, should we increase the mileage? And the reason I ask this is because quite a few people last year completed their 200-mile challenge in a matter of weeks 
instead of like over the Mm. whole two months. So like, what do you think? Well, (laughs) well, honestly, I struggled to reach 200 miles because (laughs) I think riding inside is so boring. Yeah. But I agree. I think the majority of people completed the 200 miles easily in that you could easily increase the mileage to 300 or something like that. And I would do it also. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I struggle. I like to undervalue my time on the bike so that I, I'm getting the maximum amount for sure. Sure. Where I say I'm riding an hour and that equals 10 miles where I know realistically I go further than that in an hour. So maybe I should just adjust. I don't know. I think it's a good idea. I think it's good. Okay. Maybe I'll increase yeah. it a little bit each month. Um, but then mm. for those... For those riders who are out there, you know, getting hundreds of miles every week, more power to them. They can help motivate the rest of us. Yeah. Okay. Well, stay tuned for details. Um, We'll probably have it here on the podcast and then also on social media as we get closer to December 1st and uh, figure out how you're going to get some miles in this winter, whether it's on an indoor trainer or bundling up and going outside or maybe moving someplace exotic and warm so you can keep biking outside. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. This is exactly the kind of thing I needed to get me through the winter. And for those of us who do RAGBRAI every single year, this is a really crucial time to keep your uh, physical fitness level up because it just makes it that much easier when you get back out on the bike in the springtime or whenever you start cycling outside again mm-hmm. um, and just um, kind of stay with it. You can do it either way. You can stay off the bike all winter, but it just makes it a little bit less fun when you get back out in the spring. Yes. At least I think so. For sure. So, for sure. Um, anyway, I can't wait. Um, and what else you got going on? Uh, well, speaking of exotic places to ride your bike, I just got registered for an epic week long mm. bicycle adventure in Southern Florida where mm. like we'll end up in Key West, which is pretty darn cool. I'll be heading down there to pedal, uh, I think it's the first week of December. So that will kickstart my winter challenge miles right off the bat and in the warm sunshine. Show off. (laughs) No, that's so awesome. And you're, just to be clear, you're talking about the Rum Runner Tour, right? Yes, the Rum Runner Tour, which is guided by one of our favorite party guys, Mr. Pat Mabin. Ah, yes. Party Pat. We love him. He is one of the best in the bike industry and he's a guaranteed good time in the Rum Runner Tour or just at any event you might see him. Uh, the other thing I'd like to say about Pat is we share a favorite alcoholic beverage, which is um, rum. <laughs> However, we differ in how we mix it. So every time I mix my rum with a Diet Coke, he dies a little bit inside. <laughs> But what I love about him is that he will only comment in on it once <laughs> and then he'll let me drink whatever I want. But um, yeah, he's just, a, it's so much fun. And this is, as that being his favorite drink, this is the tour to go on because he will truly um, class you up on your beverage. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Way. And there's quite a few Iowans that will be on this particular tour. And I do think, uh, Andrea, I'm pointing at you, but also anyone listening, they have a few spots left. So if you're out there listening uh, during November of 2023 and maybe you have some free time, go check out rumrunnertour.com uh, for more details. Yeah. Pat's just awesome. And uh, we wish him the best with his tour. And I can't wait to see all the photos that you, with jealousy, <laughs> see all those photos that you take during that trip. Yes, yes. So uh, real quick, back to business. I wanted to remind everyone that November 15th, 
is when we open registration for RAGBRAI LI. So if you have time before then, uh, you can go on to inmotive.com and you can update any of your info or just wait till what is at the time of this recording next week. Yeah. And then on November 15th, it'll be just quick, easy breezy process. Um, it should be, now we've had a couple years of using the same platform, so it should be no problems at all. You should be able to sign right in, get your registration, get on your team, get your merchandise, uh, make a donation to the community fund, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, registration for RAGBRAI is open through the springtime, but as we said on our podcast with Erica, I recommend signing up early if you know you're going to go because if anything should come up or if you should need to make any changes, we'll have plenty of time to do that instead of rushing at the end. Yes, I have it on my calendar in all capital letters for the 15th <laughs> yes. so I can get registered. And like you mentioned, I mean, I, I go on RAGBRAI regardless of where the route goes. So uh, mm. if you're someone like me, get registered early. If you need to know the route, well, then, you know, you can still register um, January 27th after we learn the route. Yeah, we were just talking about some seek top secret details for the route announcement Ooh. party. So get ready. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. should we uh, get to today's episode? Yes. Uh, so this week we have a parrot talk. Woo! So you get to listen to yours truly talk. Um, it's a really special article because I dug through the archives. I went deep into the archives and I found an article written by none other than Clarence Pickard, oh. who is famous for, and I'll go into this a lot more into the article, but yeah. he's famous because he rode Ragbri, the first Ragbri ever, at 83. Wow. And he did it on a woman's Schwinn bicycle, like, basically the equivalent of today's Walmart bicycle. Like, it wasn't a fancy bike at all. Mm -hmm. um, and he even talks in the article about how when he saw somebody sagging, he went ahead and grabbed the other person's bike because it was way better than his bike. <laughs> <laughs> so he, like, swaps out mid-ride. To try to get a little bit of an easier ride just for the one day. Um, and all sorts of really like uh, interesting things about Ragbri 1 that Colin Karras never mentioned. And it's just an interesting window into what it was like to bike ride at that time. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get to it. This is Andrea, and that's right, this is Parrot Talk, and I'm coming to you quote-unquote live from Parrot Talk Studios at Ragbriah headquarters in downtown Des Moines. I'm so excited to be squawking at you today. I have an surprising article for you. I know usually when I do Parrot Talks, I do an article from one of the co-founders of Ragbri, Donald Call or John Karras because they are sort of the voice of Ragbri. They really say everything there is to say about what it was like to ride Ragbri back in those days. And honestly, a lot of the stuff they say is easily transferable to today. And I think those qualities are found in this author that I have for you today. So fans of Ragbri for a long time may be aware of someone named Clarence Pickard, who rode Ragbri back in the day. And he was really famous for being... 83 and completing Ragbri on an old woman's Schwinn bicycle and wearing a um, safari pith style helmet instead of what we would think of today as a standard bicycle helmet. But back in those days, hardly anyone wore helmets at all. So it was unique to see someone wearing a helmet, much less a safari helmet. So back in those days, he was a celebrity then as he is now, where he was really notable on the ride. 
and they did a lot of articles about him. And over time, they decided that Clarence Pickard should do a series of his own articles in the paper because it was discovered that he was uh, as good at writing as he was at being a star. I've dug up and found for you today his first article that he wrote for the Des Moines Register back in the 1970s. Uh, Saturday, August 3rd, 1974 was when his first article was published. So that's a pretty big deal to be published into the Saturday paper back in those days. Um, that was one of the biggest ones and in the week. And it was just a really cool thing to do to tie him in and ask him to contribute. So I'm going to let his words speak for himself. Um, and I think a lot of what he says translates to today. So I'm going to try not to make too much of my own commentary as I read you this article and save it for the end if there should be any. So you can get a really good feel for what it was like to hear him talk and you don't have to hear me blabbing outside of what he's written. Um, it is a PDF of a really old news article. So you're going to hear me probably clicking and you're probably going to hear me scrolling. And there may be a couple pauses as I go from column to column because I'm just looking at this on my little laptop screen. All right, so the title of this article is Pickard's Bike Riding Advice. Clarence Pickard, then 83, of Indianola, was the undisputed star of the Register's Great Bicycle Ride Across Iowa last year. In the following article, he recounts some of his experiences and reflects on what the ride meant to him by Clarence Pickard. This is a brief report of some of my observations and experiences during the first Iowa bike ride, which I feel compelled to pass on for the benefit of those who are participating in the second Iowa bike ride and for others. Never before did I ever have the opportunity to appreciate the value of good eyesight, distant vision. It's a must in biking. One has to begin to make judgments about the road ahead as far as one eighth mile distant and be prepared to revise judgments instantly as the picture changes. Sand, gravel. It must be taken for granted that the rider knows from experience the influence of sand, gravel, and wetness on all kinds of road surfaces, etc. On the first day, I found railroad crossings pretty decent. Then, on about my second or third day, I had a nice long coast going when here comes this railroad crossing. I looked hard at it. It was messy and hard to figure. I checked my speed and said, it better be good, but wow, it wasn't. I stood on the pedals and jerked the front wheel over the rail. It didn't throw me, but I did not feel a bit good about the jolt that the bike took. Never again did I take any obstruction for granted, let alone a railroad crossing. Another biker, not so fortunate, was Gene Argrove of Stratford. This 61-year-old farmer and builder weighed 180 pounds. While we were going through Dolliver Park south of Fort Dodge on the third day out, we were told about a small stream we would ford where the water ran across the road about six inches deep. Others were crossing as I approached, among them John Karras. I set my front wheel directly behind his rear and crossed easily, continuing on up the hill. Two banks. Suddenly, two loud bangs rang out. A number of us hurried back to the crossing where Gene was being helped to his feet after blowing both of his tires on the submerged rock. He was taken to a doctor. The next morning, Gene showed up okay with a smile and two new tires, ready to continue on to the finish at Davenport. There in the city park at dusk, we received our certificates at the same time from our honor the mayor, 
I did not get to talk to Gene about the accident, but I have the feeling he may have been surprised by the stream. Or he had more momentum at that point than he could control due to his weight. On the farm, I remember a few times when I was overtaken by cramps in the evening after resting some seldom used muscles that had been put under heavy strain all day. But cramps in a bicycle never entered my head. It was such light work and mostly fun anyway. But the first hour after leaving Sioux City, we had to work hard grinding up those long hills out of the Mississippi River Valley, and my legs got a little tired. Resting leg. When we finally got a little coasting, I noticed a biker ahead of me hanging one leg down past his pedal to rest it. I thought it looked like a good idea, and I tried it. It felt good. But when I went to put my foot back on the pedal, wow, I was grabbed by a cramp at the inside upper leg muscle. I halted instantly and dragged my little bike off the highway through an open field gate and laid it down and out of sight behind the fence row. Here I worked myself over until I was okay, then got back on the road with a loss of perhaps 15 minutes. So it can happen. Question, how did I stand the heat? This is a question that came up in meetings after the first Iowa bike ride. During the ride, I evaded the question until the third day when a reporter cornered me in the motel dining room in Ames. Well, I said, I haven't told anyone yet, and you'll have the scoop on this. I have a secret weapon. Oh, a secret weapon. What is it? You may think it's strange, but I have two shirts on and a sweater between them. I don't believe it, he said flatly. I opened my shirt and showed him. He was aghast. What is it, insulation or something? Exactly, I said. I wear this all summer when I'm working in the hot sun. When the sun is free to add its heat, to an outside temperature in the high 90s, it can do things to your blood temperature if the body's under stress. There is an incident in the first hot afternoon out of Sioux City. I was put aboard the pickup truck with chain trouble, and we presently drew up at a rest stop where some riders were trying to cool down at the shade before going on. One bareback chap was so sick, he was put aboard. I immediately asked permission to use his bike. I don't care who rides it, he said, and I finished the day on his bike. When I arrived at the motel, I found that he had been telling that he had pooped out and turned his bike over to a man 83 years old. <laughs> Why, Mr. Pickard, you have sunburned your lips, a woman exclaimed to me after the trip from Fort Dodge to Ames. That was the first time that I ever knew that such a thing could happen to anyone. But I did have sore lips. Conditions were just right on that trip for two things to happen at once. We were going south against a strong headwind in hilly country with maximum heat and sun. Coasting down the hills, my helmet would invariably bow back over the top of my head in spite of the chin strap. Grinding up long slopes, I would usually breathe through my mouth as well as through my nose. The angle of the sun with that of the hill and the time of day and year let the hot sun to the lower half of my face almost continuously. The next day, I bought a tube of ointment only to lose it off my bike for someone to pick up. Anyway, it reached me later by way of Karis. I would be less than honest if I did not admit that the greatest surprise of this first Iowa bike ride for me was to find myself in the limelight, the object of attention, as though I were someone special, when I knew I wasn't. There were men in my hometown in their 90s who were just as active as I was at 83. I knew there were other retired farmers on the bike ride, perhaps not quite so old, but I could see there were better bikers. Surely a few years should not make all that difference. At first I dodged the cameras. At one stop, I hid in a car. The woman was determined. She sent a man to invite me nicely to pose for her. On the morning of the second day, I began to realize the jig was up. 
the bikers themselves had become infected. They began to announce me and clap my rivals at the stops. It was too much. Whatever it was that possessed people, it was genuine, and I dog well better play my role as nicely as I could. They all wanted to identify with the old man with the silver hat. Up to this point, I had no way of knowing how much of this might have been due to the power of the press. I had seen no papers, nor yet given any interviews, since I registered my name, address, and age at the Sioux City Sunday morning. But what I could see was the way people walking along the route dropped their work, left their houses and yards to greet fellow Iowans with a steady gaze and a hearty, honest handshake. Looking back from here, I can believe that they were hungering for a glimpse of some symbol of the kind of truth and personal integrity that they could understand. A retired 83-year-old farmer just might do. After the bike ride, I arrived home Sunday morning to find my telephone ringing. Hello, Clarence? This is Ensley, a former Simpson classmate and a retired hardware merchant from Cheriton. Hello, Charlie, I answered. Say, Clarence, you killed Watergate, he said in measured tones. Oh, no, I answered with feigned concern. I didn't mean it. Well, you did, he said and hung up. I'm used to myself. Another straw in the wind. Months later, his wish would appear to be father of the thought. Question, what were you doing on the interstate? Obviously, I had to answer this question honestly, lest it turned out to be another chapacritic. It was said that the section from the Des Moines to Williamsburg would separate the men from the boys. To do something about that, I left the motel at 5.15 a.m. after leaving a note at the desk to that effect for Donald Call. As I wheeled out into the semi-darkness on Army Post Road, another biker joined me. I've forgotten his name. We had been told that the chartered route followed the old U.S. Highway 6 East. This road I had traveled much and knew real well before the interstate went in, but not much since. Turning north on 14th to Grand, we picked up Hubble Boulevard, diagonal to the stoplight, intersection with Route 6, and we were on our way. There was just a hint of approaching daylight in the east. We soon came up on a T-intersection in the road. This I recognized as the graveled road turning south to the Mitchellville Orchards. Searching the horizon to the northeast, I made out the water tower and of course followed the paving north on old Route 6. Before I'd gone very far, I saw what looked like the high grade of the Interstate 80 looming ahead. I thought, how could this be? Had I missed the Route 6 turn east, which I knew had turned east this side of the water tower? Surely I-80 must patch Missileville on the north. I stopped to get out my map. My companion was nowhere in sight. Both maps were confusing. The chartered route appeared to go south from Colfax. But where was the road east to Colfax? I was about to turn around and hunt for one, when lo, within ten feet of my front wheel, was a macadam road showing in the approaching dawn going straight east. I lost no time getting on it. It was beautiful, but after several miles, blah, it began to turn gradually to the left and integrated with the shoulder of Interstate 80. But it was still a beautiful macadam and going on the right direction, with the hills shaved off. Such long glides I've never seen before. I poured it on. But where was Colfax? Where was any town? They are not visible. They must be tracked down from official exits. Oh, oh, I thought. It was too good to last. The macadam was ending. I wallowed on, looking for an exit. Suddenly, a car pulled onto the shoulder ahead. A man got out and came toward me saying, I'm a reporter from the register. I wonder if I can have an interview with you? I told him that I had become fed up with this gravel and was trying to find an exit, and that, further, I was pretty thirsty. He offered to get me a drink and look up an exit and disappeared. 
I was left wiggling along in the gravel when suddenly I heard close behind me a measured quiet toot, toot, toot. I dropped my feet and turned. It was the highway patrol. As he got out of the car and slammed the door, and since I could see his face, I decided to lead the conversation. <laughs> Sir, am I in the wrong place? You sure are, mister. They don't allow bikers out here on these shoulders. Well, I replied, I didn't see any cars to bother out here. That don't make any difference, he said. It's against the law. Well, I said, if it's against the law, you better get me off from here, but quick. He was a crusty little fellow, but all business as he got his maps out and showed me where to exit south and meet the chartered route. In the meantime, a car pulled off onto the shoulder ahead of us. A tourist got out and offered his services, having spotted me from the highway by my hat. At that moment, the reporter from the register, I never got his name, appeared, and it was agreed that he'd put my bike on his car and take me to the chartered route at Sully. I thanked and excused the tourist, and we all went our ways. At Sully, the reporter presented me with a nice cold can of orange juice, for which I was grateful. Then he asked if he might have an interview. It was the least I could do after what he had done for me. I got in his car and we talked while some of the other bikers were stringing past, among them Call, who glanced back and noticed me in the car talking to the reporter. Now, I could not guess how much he might know about what had been happening to me that morning. When he stopped, dismounted, walked back to the car, and glanced at me through the open window, I said, Now don't give me hell, though you may darn well know I deserve it. For the answer, he just continued his steady gaze a moment, then turned and got on his bike and rode off. To some of my later audiences, I have said, if there is a sequel to this incident, it was on Sunday morning after the bike ride when I arrived home and went to the supermarket and in the doorway met a friend who asked if I had seen what Call had written about me. I said, no, I haven't seen my paper yet. Well, you get it and read the very last line at the bottom. Of course I did just that. It read, Mr. Pickard is a hell of a man. If anyone ever feels like giving me hell... I hope that is the way they do it. Some of my audiences have asked me what I thought of the writing styles of those two cycling journalists, Karis and Call. I say they're two very worthy persons and nice fellows to know, but as different as night and day in their journalism. Karis is straightforward, matter of fact, no nonsense, both feet on the ground kind of writer. He says what he means and he means what he says. He has many fans for his weekly magazine piece. I suspect his main job is the copy desk, and for good reason. Cole, on the other hand, hangs loose. Some people would say, too damned loose. My wife, who's an English teacher, says he is a satirist. Not a bad word, I looked it up. It's a very resilient and flexible style. It's like being a water witch. You have to be born to it. O.T. is one of those fellows who can write out of both sides of his mouth at once, and you can't tell which cheek he has his tongue in. This gives the reader the illusion that he is free to make up his own mind where the truth lies. From the feedback I got on the bike ride in later meetings, I would judge that there were six women that read O.T.'s column 90% of the time to one man who reads it 20% of the time. At the rest stops, many is the time the wife would rush up to tell me how many times she had read about the bike ride in the paper. Then, after a little patter, she might lay hold of her husband and bring him up to meet me. I tried to make it worth his while. After blundering onto Interstate 80 by mistaking an approach at Colfax in the early morning, I made these observations. Whenever a new right-of-way is run through the countryside, it would make very little more expense to include a four-foot strip on the median 
are next to the shoulder for a bike path. The macadam might be financed partially or entirely by private money at some later time because the subsurface need only consist of packed gravel. Should not the interstate be limited to motorized vehicles instead of a minimum speed limit? After all, there are many times when they don't make 40 miles per hour. And that's the end of the article. That is Clarence Pickard's first article about his experiences riding the very first RAGBRAI and his interactions with the other riders, Donald Call, John Karras, and some of the other reporters that had come to cover the story. I thought that was so crazy interesting, and I can't believe they had to ford water on that bike ride. How crazy is that to have to bike through six inches of water? That's pretty significant if it's moving water. And it's significant if it's a puddle as well, because you're not, I'm sure you couldn't have seen the bottom. It's no wonder his friend tipped over on the bike, because that is some treacherous cycling. I mean, not to mention riding on I-80. I love how humble Pickard is and how he thinks that he wouldn't be noticeable uh, biking in his pith helmet on the side of Interstate 80. (laughs) Even in the 70s, I'm sure it was pretty busy. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I can't wait to bring you some more articles in the future. Uh, I know I'm going to go right away and look up some more of Pickard's articles so I can share them with you in the future. Um, I would love to hear your ideas for what you'd like to hear on Paratalk, if there's any other topics or subjects that you'd like for me to cover. Um, I'm all ears. And I know we repeat this at the end of the episode, but you can get a hold of us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Just Go Bike Podcast. Or you can send us an email at Just Go Bike Podcast at gmail.com. It was great squawking at you, and I'll chirp at you later. Well, listeners, that is it for this week. We both want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the Just Go Bike podcast. And if you'd like to contact us with a comment about the podcast, or maybe you have a topic in mind, you can reach us at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com, or you can also follow us on social media at Just Go Bike on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, especially if you're a fan. And if you have any extra time, pop on over to the Morphology Podcast for more bike adventure interviews. All right, that's a wrap. We'll be back next week. Until then, just just go bike. bike!